spoke through the worship. God is here. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for your presence. And Lord, I thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, that you loved each of us so much that you sent your beloved son to die for us. Jesus, I thank you that through your shed blood we have forgiveness of sins, and through your death and resurrection we have your life now. Thank you, Lord God, that you are here. Thank you, Lord, you've given your angels to minister salvation here. I pray, God, that we have ears to hear, and I thank you for your loving kindness. In Jesus' name. I believe what I'm speaking about this morning has to do with the theme that of transformation. I, I think God wants to bring us to a higher level. And for some, uh, this message will probably be a fine-tuning. Uh, for others, it's a wake-up call. And for others, it may be the last time that you hear the, the, the warning from the Lord on this issue. The main message comes out of Matthew 7, verses 13 and 23. Taylor, if you can put that up. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. Many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I've read this scripture many times, and I've had the perspective that generally there are many people who are going to hell and few that are going to heaven. I had a futuristic perspective, but the Lord, I believe, has given me a perspective that we can apply today and every day, a daily perspective. I want to establish who Jesus is talking to, though. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, But a natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. John 3, 3, Jesus says this, You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's difficult, if almost impossible, to understand the word unless the spirit of God is in you. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said that you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Whatever I know about Jesus Christ, it's only because of revelation. And what I understand about his word is because of revelation. In verse 22 of this particular passage, he says, Jesus says, Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? The Pharisees had it all wrong when they described Jesus as casting out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? The point of this is that these are not non-believers that Jesus is talking about in this particular passage. He's talking to you and me. Non-believers do not prophesy in Jesus' name. They do not have the power of Jesus in his name. They do not cast out demons in his name, and they do not do miracles in his name. And who is the gate? Who's the small gate? Who is the way? Jesus says in John 10, verse 7, this is the Message Bible, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus says in John 14, 16, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he is the way. No one comes to the Father except through him. I believe that we choose every day what gate and way we will walk through. And quite often, I have been guilty of walking through the wide gate. The wide gate represents choices rooted in feelings, such as offenses, fear, anger, jealousy, envy, unforgiveness, unbelief, and hardness of heart. <clears throat> basically, basically that everything that comes from my nature, my strengths, my abilities, and my stinking thinking. If I'm going down with my stinking thinking, it'll bring me as low as I think. Think about that. Jesus did say the kingdom of God is at hand. We choose the small gate, narrow way. When we do that, we walk in the kingdom of God today. In Romans 14, it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, which is in us. We walk in eternal life now. We walk in Jesus' life now when we go through the small gate and walk the narrow way. When we go through the wide gate, we are not walking in righteousness, peace, or joy. Whatever pleasures or self-satisfaction we have by walking through the wide gate are short-lived and lead to a bad outcome. I want to talk about the fruits. Jesus has an emphasis on fruits, not only in this particular passage, but also in John 15. In verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, 
nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them, you and me, by their fruits. So what kind of tree are you? What kind of tree am I? And what kind of fruit are we bearing? Don't look at your neighbor. Well, I know that that person is not bearing good fruit. We need to look at ourselves. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. If you're abiding in Jesus, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Obviously, good fruit. And as it says in verse 13, uh, verse 18, you cannot bear good fruit and bad fruit at the same time. You are one or the other. And what came to my mind when I was looking at this was Galatians chapter 5. Taylor, if you could put that up there. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you. Now he says things like these. This is not a comprehensive list. That those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And as I looked at this, quite frankly, I'm probably guilty of all of them at one time or another in my life. I think a very deceptive practice that we have is idolatry. Where we are putting something before our relationship with Jesus Christ. It could be religion. It could be prayer. It could be worship. They are only a means to an end. They are not the end. Sometimes it's a church building. Sometimes it's going to church Sunday. Whatever comes before our relationship with Jesus Christ can be considered an idol. I want to read out of the Living Bible because it gives another twist to this. But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all that sort of thing. I think it's kind of interesting, at least in this interpretation, that all these things, the work of the flesh, are commensurate to stirring up demons, encouraging the activity of demons. If I'm criticizing or complaining, it's in the same boat as stirring up demons. Can you understand why those people who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God? But what's the good fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. You're pretty safe if the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit through you. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. When you see the word walk in the Bible, a lot of times it denotes character building. And your character is not built on the mountaintop. It's built in the valley. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I felt that I should talk about some of the things that bear bad fruit. And it's interesting that Paul talks about not envying one another or being jealous. I have been guilty of that in church. And I think, I think it's a problem in the church. The reason we compare ourselves to others is because we live in a society where competition is exalted. A lot of times, the uniqueness of the, of the individual is not praised. It's like, you know, you're affected by peer pressure, and it's certainly true for their youth, that they conform to one image, and it's not the image of Jesus Christ. We walk through the wide gate if we wish or think we could be somebody else. The only reason I'm wearing blue jeans today is I want to be like Pastor Bruce. He's always wearing blue jeans. <laughs> Amen, yeah. I can be hip, and I came from the hip-hop generation. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But there is a caveat to that. There is something that needs to be added on to that. If you are called by, if you are gifted by, if you are equipped by, if, you, if God has a purpose, then you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. If somebody says to, do, to you that if you set your mind to anything, you can do it, that's not true. That does not acknowledge the differences that God has ordained in people. Um, I have a brother who's in, very intelligent. He was number one in his high school class. He was number one in the university class. He's number one or number two in his medical class. He's a doctor. And I had to follow in his footsteps because they, typically the teachers compared to me to him. He went to St. John's University, and I was... I was thinking about playing basketball there or football, and I was in the president's office, and my brother's six years older than I am. And when he found out who I was, he said, oh, yeah, I remember your brother. It's like, gee, if you're as smart as him, you'll do just fine here. <laughs> and my brother could go through chemistry and biology like nothing. I did take those classes, but it's very difficult for me. If you say to a student, if you just work harder, I know you can succeed, it's not true. It's delusional. Boys and girls are different. We use different parts of our brain differently. And within the sexes, there's differences. We are given different aptitudes by the Lord. We have different personalities by the Lord. 
And God wants to use those personalities given you and me to touch people for the kingdom of God. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I can say anything that Christ strengthens me in. But if he hasn't strengthened me in that area, I better not say it. Sometimes we have the truth in us, and we want to tell somebody that. But if God hasn't given us the grace to say it, we need to keep quiet. I have forced things in my life, and the outcome is not good. And sometimes that verges on criticism. And criticism, if it's done in the wrong spirit, doesn't change anybody. It just creates more harm. But you've got to have the grace to say it. If somebody says that you can do all things with Christ's strengths, that's true. For which he's created you, and I want to tell you something, no matter who you are, God does not make mistakes. Paul said this, I am what I am by the grace of God. I was a special ed teacher for a number of years, and I, I worked with Down syndrome kids. And they have a special personality. And their personalities, we're talking about personalities, touch people in a way that you and I cannot. God does not make mistakes. But you know, because of God's grace, you and I should not be the same people we were yesterday or certainly 20 years ago. When I was a freshman in college, one of my first classes was speech, and I hated it. I was basically a quiet person. Some people say that I still am. And I, I can remember being in this large room with upperclassmen and graduate students in getting their master's degree. And we had to do a 30-minute paper on our research subject. There was not enough deodorant that could stop my sweat glands from expressing themselves. <laughs> I developed eye ticks. Involuntary flickering of my eyelids. And I'm trying to present this paper. Fortunately, it was both eyes, because you know when you walk by those big football players, if, you're, if one eye is flicking, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Obviously, I've changed. But it's only because of God's grace. He has a calling for your life. That's where we need to be. That's where the rest is. If we want to be like somebody else, you'll never have any rest. God's created each of us for a unique purpose. And then in that purpose, you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. Jealousy and envy bears bad fruit. Another thing that produces bad fruit and is very evident in our society, and unfortunately, it's big time in churches. It's called offenses. 
It's the bait of Satan. John Bevere came up with that book a number of years ago, and how true it is how the devil can clip you by allowing you to, to, to ruminate on an offense. It produces bitterness and unforgiveness and obviously can derail you and me from bearing good fruit. In the Message Bible, when it talks about, in Galatians, the works of the flesh, it says that some people have the vicious habit of depersonalizing other people as rivals. Can you relate to that? If, if you've been hurt, what is it that goes through your mind towards that person who hurts you? We have a habit of depersonalizing them as rivals. It happens in the church. And sometimes if you're carrying a hurt from the past, whether it's a childhood or whatever, you can be hurt by what somebody says even though they didn't intend to hurt you. It's just that somehow or another it crosses you the wrong way because of that hurt. And then we depersonalize that person as a rival instead of a brother or sister in Christ. And unfortunately, we do it in marriages. You know, people get married, they love one another. But unfortunately, if there's a 50% divorce rate, we depersonalize our spouses. We do it in families, and of course, we do it in church too. We're all imperfect. We've all fallen. It's here. But it is the bait of Satan, and it will derail us from good fruit. In Matthew 5, verses 44 to 45, this is something the Lord's been working on me. It says, Jesus says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And get this. That you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. The implication is, if I'm not doing this, am I really a child of God? Am I really proving to people that I'm a child of God? We should be different from the world. And as I said, in marriages, unfortunately, husbands and wives become enemies. Children hate their parents. Someone at your job despitefully uses you. You can be a victim of injustice. If you lived it long enough in this world, you will be. Somebody you thought was your friend can turn against you. People in your church family criticize and get angry with you. If we want the good fruit that the Holy Spirit bears, equips and furnishes through us, we must love and pray for them or we will go through the wide gate. For a number of years, several years, I was in a situation where I felt there was a great deal of injustice. And I tried to make myself accountable. I, I, I would go to Pastor Tom, I'd go to Pastor Bruce, I, Doug, others that I, that I meet with on a regular basis to make sure that my heart was right. And through that experience, I learned a lot. The, the Lord showed me a lot about myself. And one Sunday, I was praying with Jerry, and I said, Lord, you've got to deliver me from this. Of course, in, in your mind, you're thinking that he's going to move you out. He's not. He's not going to move you out of that circumstance. You do it, it's just going to follow you. God wants to conform us to the image of his son Jesus, and that a lot, a lot of times is a 
bad circumstances. But the scripture that came to mind as I was praying with Jerry is Romans 12, 21. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Instead of relying on my own strategy, I trusted God in his word. I started loving in this situation in an unconditional way. And the entire atmosphere changed. Even though I sought godly counsel during these years, until I changed and obeyed God, nothing else changed. That doesn't mean there wasn't injustice. It means only God and obeying God is the solution, period. Only God and obeying God is the solution. Loving our enemies and praying for them frees us to be who God has created us to be, to bear good fruit. And if you're not doing, if you're not resting in who God has created you to be, chances are you're not going to bear good fruit. It frees me up to love my enemies. Otherwise, I'm thinking about them, I'm in bondage. But it can change the atmosphere as well. There's only one thing that changes people, is love. God's love. A love that's contrary to the world's ways. That's why we need to love our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use us. If we want to be children of our Father who is in heaven, we must love people, even those who are our enemies. If we want to be like Jesus, it will be our response in those valleys, those negative circumstances in our life that help us to be more like him. It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's the way it is. I think another thing that's been resident in my life, but I believe also in the body, is hard hearts. A couple months ago, I was praying for this individual who was sick, and I wanted to show him that I, that I cared for him. And after some conversation, I said, do you mind if I prayed for you? And I was praying for him. In the midst of my prayer, two words came to mind. I wasn't thinking it, wasn't even judging that person as being this, but hard heart. God does show us things about other people, and it is not to judge them, because anything that God shows you about somebody else can be resident in your own heart. It's to pray for them. And then secondly, to examine our own heart. I've been examining my own heart. And there have been times when I think that maybe I've, there's some hardness in my heart. You know, we live in a fallen world, and just the ordinary difficult things of life we can get under. And we can develop hard hearts. And unfortunately, hard hearts bear bad fruit. And quite often what happens is we disconnect from other people who can help us. We disconnect from church. You hear this very clearly. Satan's strategy is to isolate you, to isolate me, and get us out of God's will and to bear bad fruit. 
You cannot walk this journey by yourself. You need other people who are strong in the Lord to help you along the way. I have, this is not blasphemy, there is the Holy Spirit and there is the second Holy Spirit, which is my wife. So often God has used her to get me on the right track. We need one another to walk that narrow path. I was reading again this verse 19 out of Matthew where it says that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I thought, man, that's, that's a hard statement. And it's like the Lord is saying, if you're seeing this, if you're hearing this, I'm giving you a second chance. John 15, 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This is used several times. Jesus talks about it more than once. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15, Paul says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet is through fire. I, I've been around for a long time in the church, and people quite often pray that God would send his fire. You know what that is? I think that's trials. I think it's, it's God saying, okay, you want some of this stuff burnt away? I'm going to put you in a trial. I'm going to refine you as gold. Keep on praying. Keep on praying for fire. There is a bad outcome for some Christians. And when I looked at this verse again, I believe if you're hearing this today, God is saying, I'm giving you a second chance. He gives you more than second chances, though you understand that. But as I said this, you don't take that for granted. It could be the last time you hear this. But God wants you and I to bear good fruit. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that I think that can help us. Oswald Chambers says that faith in God is a rare thing. He's talking to Christians. Faith in God is a rare thing. You know why? Because quite often we put faith in our feelings first. When a trial comes into my life, all too often I resort to my own devices, my own strategies, my own skills, my emotions. Think about that. When you, the next time you have a trial, and it, it comes just like that. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be somebody saying something to you that just insults you. What's going to rise up? Your feelings? I come to my senses when I read his word 
or am around, around strong believers. That's why I said you cannot walk this walk by yourself. The end of 2011 was very stressful. It was just a prolonged period of time of long days and stuff was just being thrown at me. And I was with the group of people who prayed before the service and Jerry Berglund was praying something. I don't even know what he's praying. But all of a sudden, the Lord just really gave me a revelation about his presence, that he loves me, that he cares for me. Uh, his word is true. And the things of life, most of them come and they go. But what I call it is a light bulb going on, and I call it a rest revelation. When you're around other believers who are giving you the word, even today, the prophetic word about being weary, when you hear that, that if you wait upon the Lord, he'll give you the strength that you need. God wants to give us rest revelations. The enemy wants to take us out of rest. God's in control. He loves you and me. And these challenges in life, by and large, will come and go. The second thing is, after putting our faith in God and not our feelings, is to be strong and courageous. Sometimes we need a personal resolve to be strong. I've told you this before. It was about a year ago. My three-year-old granddaughter, as I was about to pray after explaining something at a, a gathering of my extended relatives, he sa she says, Grandpa, what are you talking about? And I said, Jesus. And for a two-second pause, there was nothing. Then she says, Grandpa, Jesus Christ kicks butt. I think sometimes we need to have that attitude. We need to be strong and courageous and allow Jesus Christ to kick some butt. And it's not talking about against other people. It's just personal resolve against the enemy. God told Joshua three times, and actually it was a commandment, to be strong and courageous. You know, we live in a life where we can get under it so easy. We can get just weak. We all can be there. And sometimes we just need to allow Jesus to kick some butt, to be strong and courageous. And that's the choice that we make. Sometimes God isn't necessarily going to help us with our attitude. Sometimes we have to make that choice. Thirdly, we each have a personal responsibility to give. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We live in a, a society where we feel we're entitled to much. And that has permeated the church. Don't come here, sit in the pew, hope that they're, they're playing the right worship songs. Don't hope that the pastor gives a good message. But come here with the attitude as the Hebrew writer said. Don't forsake the assembling as is the habit of some, but consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, especially as the day draws near. Life goes a lot better when you allow God to love through you. 
Fourthly, get serious. I had kind of a revelation of this when I was considering, when I was thinking about offenses. If I'm serious with God, I believe that offenses, fears, etc., have little or no effect on me. Being serious with God involves denying myself. I'm not going to wait for my physical funeral. I'm going to have my funeral today and every day where I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've once heard it said that the reason that Al-Qaeda is so effective is those men, women, believe they're dead. You can't hurt a dead person. And things that ordinarily would be offenses to us roll off our back like water off a duck's back. Are we getting serious with God? I've, I've been contemplating this for some time. I know I don't have much time left. And I reflect on my life. Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I serious with God? If you're self-centered, you'll get pricked. If we have this sense of entitlement, it's easy to be offended because it's our agenda we're concerned about. But it's really all about Jesus. The only reason you're here today is because he's given you breath to breathe. Jesus in Revelation 3, when he's talking to the churches, he was talking to Laodicea. And he says... You're lukewarm. I'd rather that you be hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Some people say, well, I can, and I've heard this said by somebody recently, I feel very comfortable with that. I don't really want God to push me along and on. I'm just very, very comfortable where I'm at. And that's a delusion. Because either you're growing or you're dying spiritually. There is no in-between. And the worst thing is, is Christ, however you want to take this, if you look warm, he's going to spit you out. He's looking for a people who are serious about him. Fifth, Oswald Chambers says, most Christians have turned from darkness to light, but they haven't received anything. Their eyes are open to the light, but they haven't received anything. Or, I add this, to stop receiving from Christ and what he has done for us. Matthew 22, verse 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. That is, few prove that they are the chosen ones. That have a living and growing relationship with God through Jesus and have their spiritual condition change. If you're born again, Jesus said, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. What's born of the flesh is flesh. All of us are there. But there's a second birth, and that's being born by the Spirit of God. Being born again. If we are, there ought to be a change. There ought to be some freshness coming through us. There ought to be rivers, as the Bible says, of living water flowing through us. There ought to be evidences of restoration in us. 
Do we understand what he has really done on the cross? There have been times when I have, when I've been in the pit because of sin or whatever, and then I realize that he's forgiven me. What a release. What an appreciation for what he has done for me on the cross. But it isn't just when you're born again. That's something that we need to have in our hearts every day, receiving his forgiveness every day. I've been guilty of navel-gazing and being overly concerned about my spiritual condition. God doesn't want me to do that. The frustrating thing about being with the Lord 20, 30 years is that there's a sin that you do that you haven't done for 30 years. And then you ruminate on it, you stomp on it. It's like, how can I work this out? You can't. Because you'll be tempted every day. You will sin. And that's why we need a Savior. It's a constant reminder that we need a Savior. If I'm always concerned about my spiritual condition, I take my eyes off the cross and what he's done for me. Because we, we have a nature that gravitates towards a work sort of thing. I can work this out. Somehow or another, I can do something right. I can beat myself up or whatever. Then this will be pleasing to the Lord. It never will be. We always, always need a Savior. It doesn't make any difference how long you've been in the kingdom of God. The other thing that we try and do is, I'm going to love Jesus more. No, you're not. In 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. In John 14, 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. It's through obedience that we allow God's love to flow through us. I can't change people's hearts with my love. Never going to happen. But his love changes me, and if I allow it to, throw, to, to flow through me by obeying his word, it'll touch others. I remember... When I was a fairly new Christian, and I've told you this before, I used to be a school psychologist. I was with these other colleagues of mine, and there was a particular individual who God wanted me to show extra consideration to. And I, I think it was because maybe there was a personality conflict. I'm not sure. I don't remember the details. Um, but God wanted me to be more considerate and compassionate to this person, and I did. And what I remember is that after that act of obedience, I felt saturated by his love. It was his love through an act of obedience that touched the other person and touched me. It's like God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Being faithful to what he's asking me to do. Have you had Jesus tell you, I love you? That sets you free. If he says, if you can hear it, I love you. The only reason I'm saying that is a couple weeks ago, I was in the shower 
and I heard this, I, whoops, I heard this thing, this word come through my mind, I love you. I knew where that was coming from. And yes, people, when you take a shower, Jesus is in there with you. When we know Christ intimately and his sacrifice on the cross, will we not choose the small gate and the narrow way? If we are intimate with the Lord and we see each day what he has done for us, will we not choose the small gate and the narrow way? The moral of this is, is this. Jesus, Jesus is saying that many will not finish well. That's not my word. That's his. Many Christians will not finish well. The good news and his loving kindness is this. He wants you and me to finish well. He has given us his all. His son, Jesus Christ. He's given him his best that we can do our best for him. He has given us his Holy Spirit that we can finish well. He has given us his word that we can finish well. He's given you and me for each other to finish well. And today, if you're hearing his word, it's his loving kindness that leads you and me to repentance. We can all be guilty of hard hearts. We can be guilty of the works of flesh. But when you hear something like this, whether you're hearing it or not, I've heard it. And I want the word to sink deep in my life. I want to finish well. I want a soft heart. And I want immediate conviction when I do have a hard heart. God wants every one of us to finish well. He said, few enter. Few enter his life. That's today. Today, are we going to enter through the, the, the small gate and walk the narrow way? Or are we going to choose the wide gate? Let me pray for you. Father, I, I just thank you for this word. Lord, again, it's your revelation. It's your spirit that brings revelation. And God, I thank you that you give us an opportunity to be those people who glorify you, to be those oaks of righteousness that you talk about in Isaiah, that glorify you, that bear good fruit. God, forgive us for when we have uh, been trees that bear bad fruit. But Lord, I just thank you for your grace today. I thank you for your word. 
and your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Today to choose, and each day to choose to go through that small gate and walk the narrow way. That's you, Jesus. We want to walk in you. We want to live our lives through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you. It's your desire that each of us finish well. And I pray, God, that you would uh, help each of us to help one another by your word and your spirit to finish well, that this church will be a light in this region, that many souls will come into your kingdom because they see the light and they see the fruit. Jesus, be lifted up and glorified. I pray a blessing on each person here. May the word go deep in our hearts. Holy Spirit, remind us of your word and help us to be more like your son, Jesus. Conform to his image. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good day.